forget anything. You find your way back to Making Sense of Pets, a podcast. We're your hosts. Veterinary technicians, Angela Ilya. Ryan Frazier. And I'm Becky Mosser. And today's conversation and guest is just one of my very favorites in the veterinary world. I'm so honored and excited to have her here today, Dr. Danny McVetty, who is the one of the founders of Lap of Love, um, which is one of the most important, I think, services that we have in the veterinary space. So we're really excited to have a conversation with Dr. Danny today about hospice and caring for our older pets and how to how to meet the rainbow bridge with grace. So, Dr. Danny, thank Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We're really excited to have you, honestly. And um, hopefully your your new year is off to a good start. Oh, goodness. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Mm. <laughs> Way better than 2020, huh? Yeah, that's right. And I was going to elaborate. I'm like, no, nah, we all hear too much about it. We know. We know. Yeah, the bar was low. The bar was low. Exactly. Yeah. Angie's off to the best 2021, I think. She was just snorkeling her little face off. Where were you? Angie is cut. Bye. we'll just cut in this like this we'll just keep going so she can figure her life out so dr danny why don't you first of all just tell everybody a little bit about your background i assume everybody knows you because you're like a celebrity in my brain but um just tell us a little bit about your background and what you you know how you got here yeah absolutely so i graduated um in 2009 from the university of florida college of veterinary medicine and i think like a lot of us at the time, you know, we graduated at a very difficult economic, uh, you know, period. Um, so when I graduated, there there weren't a ton of jobs available um, in veterinary medicine. They, they, again, the economy wasn't doing so well. So I did emergency medicine, which I actually fell in love with. Um, and at the same time doing emergency medicine, I fo- kind of found myself reaching back into some training that I had done in college when I volunteered for human hospice. And Human Hospice is just this incredible organization that is obviously focused all around the client. And, you know, they care more about what kind of ice cream you like than whether or not you took all your medication. You know, just that kind of thing. They're just this amazing, amazing organization. So I volunteered for them for a period of time when I was in college. And during that time, they kind of, they, they give you a little bit of training on what to say, what not to say, you know, when you're being present with somebody, maybe, you know, you can support their beliefs and their questions and that kind of thing without maybe trying to influence them at all. So they're very present with their clients. So anyway, in emergency medicine, as we all know, you know, it is a very, you're faced with euthanasia a lot. And there are a lot of moments in uh, emergency medicine where you're saying to somebody, look, we can either do this $2,000 surgery or we're, we need to discuss euthanasia, but the only wrong answer is doing nothing at all. So I found myself very, very comfortable. And, and honestly, you know, I, like I use the word lightly 
enjoying that conversation, you're not enjoying having it so much as you're enjoying the process of getting somebody through it. You know, they, 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 they walk into an emergency clinic completely stressed out, regardless of what the situation is. And then I get to walk them through that process of what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, when we're going to do it, in what way. And then at the end, having them feel comfortable with that. And Becky, like, you know, a lot of the times, you know, in those situations, euthanasia happens in emergency medicine because things go downhill quickly. So I started offering to go to someone's home you know, in the morning for euthanasia. And I would say something like, you know, I, why don't I, why don't I swing by your house on my way home in the morning? I get off at 8 a.m. And, you know, that kind of thing. And it, it really, it went from just something that like I was, I thought I was just going to do part-time just to help pay back student loans. And, you know, because I, because I loved it and it was a really fulfilling way to kind of end a day, you know, or a shift yeah. in ER. And, it developed into a little business. And then I had doctors calling me from around the country and wanting to do this. And, you know, they would say things like, Hey, I found your website. And by website, I mean like a little piece. It, I I designed it by myself and I have no background. (laughs) You know, it was back in 2009 when there weren't these beautiful websites at all. And, um, and so I was just surprised that there were other doctors that felt the same way that I do about this work. And I still was never really convinced until years later that there were other doctors that would actually want to do this full time. Um, But at the time, it just kind of kept growing and growing. And here I was less than a year out of school, finding a a footing very quickly in a profession that obviously we work for, you know, a decade plus to, to become part of. So that's a little bit how it, it, it got started. But I got to tell you, I mean, I never set out to develop you know, a way of doing things that I think has really at least shifted and evolved euthanasia. Not that we ever in veterinary medicine did it wrong. Maybe we just never thought of it as as spiritual and as sophisticated and as beautiful and brilliant as we've been able to develop with Lap of Love. So... That is so awesome. I totally agree with you. Working in emergency medicine and internal medicine, I actually enjoyed being involved with it because I knew kind of what a personal experience euthanasia is, and I wanted to be in control of them having the best experience to say goodbye to their pet as possible. Yeah, and it, you know, in in the years past, and I mean, like, you know, for, for generations in the past, veterinary veterinarians have, have almost treated euthanasia as a failure. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's, you know, we are taught, we go to into veterinary school to learn how to help pets, how to make them better, how to cure, that kind of thing. And so euthanasia is, in a sense, you know, a little bit of like, well, we failed. We didn't do it right. We couldn't save your pet. But there's a way of, you know, Becky, you and I have talked about this for a long time. There's a way of looking at it that, you know, yes, we have learned as doctors to instill quality of life. That's what quality of life is, is making sure our pets are safe, happy, healthy, comfortable, well-loved, all that stuff. Then uh, as age shifts and age grows and matures, and now we have an elderly pet like we do now because we have such great medicine that our pets are living into their elderly years, not just dying of these, you know, diseases when they're young then we get to shift our awareness to a a quality of death and actually providing a beautiful, loving passing becomes the focus instead of just, you know, not simply because it's not a simple thing, but instead of just ensuring a quality of life. And that's what 
what our service is all about, which is taking those reins, you know, from the general practitioner or specialist or whomever is still trying to keep a pet alive, taking those reins and saying, now let's make sure that we have a beautiful and loving passing, which is what human hospice does as well. It's just, it's, it's a beautiful opportunity to flip the narrative, I think, and to just say like, because I think about when I talk to people on an airplane or when I travel and they, you know, what do you do? And you tell them, one of the first things they go to is saying, I could never do what you do. Mm-hmm. And they immediately go to euthanasia. It's, it's like the first thing that people think about when they think about our career. Yeah. Um, sorry, I just want to pause. Can you hear Angie? Angie, can you hear us? Are we all Hi. back? I, I don't know why, but I'm guest 3B. It didn't offer me <laughs> to, put, to put my name in this time. So I see what's happening here, Cass. You have to type your name in. <laughs> it just it didn't even come up. Usually You're a little it's bit like, of trouble. So we're your microphone. Okay, You're cool. on probation. Like, oh, yeah. We should re-record so then you can say, I'm veterinary technician, guest 3B. I'm <laughs> guest 3B. <laughs> Okay, so Dr. Danny's laughing. I can tell she hears Angie. I just didn't want to keep going if we couldn't actually hear Angie. Okay, we're all synced back up, right? Yep. Dr. Danny, you hear her too, right? Good. Yeah, I can hear. Okay. 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 Great. great. You hear our guest, right? I do. I can. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I think that you know, for for individuals, it is something that is. Um, considered negative and you've flipped the narrative and said this can actually be positive because I think the fact of the matter is and the important part of this is it's inevitable this is going to happen one way or another and so it's it's how we help make it happen that can be very rewarding so um, I love the way you've really taken that negative connotation and said like this is something we can actually kind of control and make a positive experience and you know you mentioned like the human side where it's like, what kind of ice cream flavor do you want? Not are you up to on your meds? And I know that, you know, that's kind of what we tell folks like, you know, go get the hamburgers, get the ice cream, yeah. get the treats, whatever they want and make that really positive. And you've made a living out of that for thousands of pets at this point, right? Like how oh, big gosh. are you guys now? Cause it's huge. Yeah. So it's been, let me see. I started in, in 2009 and then in, Late 2010 is when we, you know, I, I, I really knew there was something that was replicable. Um, Dr. Mary Gardner, who's my business partner, came on with me in, um, in 2010. And then from there, we started offering it with other doctors. And so now in 10, 11 years, um, we now have about 165 doctors that wow. work with us. Yeah. That's so cool. In about 34 states, I believe. Okay. And we have helped over 250,000 pets wow. and since that time. Yeah. So wow. a lot. A uh, lot. That is, I mean, that is phenomenal, really. And it's not just those pets. It's the next pets, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's, yeah. it's the fact that when it's a positive experience, people are going to be more likely to go through that experience again, as opposed to, you know, how often do you hear, I'll never own another pet. That was too hard. Yeah. Um, exactly. And that's the worst thing we could hear, right? I and know. I, I hate it when people say that to me because I'm, I, I always, you know, it's usually at the moment when obviously we're saying goodbye to their pet. So it's, yeah. it's said out of a complete grief. Sure. And I like, I'm, I always look at them and I'm like, no, no, listen, that's not something for you to decide right now. Yeah. You're the type of person that we want to have pets. Sure. Yeah. You are such a loving home. Look how, look how wonderful you, you, you did for Fluffy. Like you gave her an amazing life 
And let's not forget that just because you have a moment of grief right now, you yeah. know, so let this subside and pass. And I mean, again, those are the people, the people that, that call us, you know, the people that are willing to spend just a little bit, not much more, but just a little bit more for somebody to come to your home than to go to a practice or to drop them off at a shelter or something like that. Like those are the, those, those are the, the, the pet parents that love their animals. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that they have deep pockets. That doesn't mean, you know, as, as all of you guys know, working in the veterinary field, what someone can afford and what they're willing to afford are very uh, yes. different things. Yep. Yeah. And it is the hardest thing that we have to deal with in veterinary medicine is when someone actually can't afford to do something that we know could be very, very helpful for their pet. But again, aside from that, you know, the, the, the ones, the families that are able to provide that type of care for their, for their pet and that type of experience. I mean, my goodness, those are the, are the ones we want, you know, to adopt more animals and to save them all. And, and I really feel like in, in our, like our little small world, that that's kind of how we help change the world, you know, is by allowing people or giving people rather a good experience. And I just, I know from the thousands and thousands of families that I've helped, I know for a fact that when they have a good experience and when they have a peaceful end of life process with their pet, they are more open to adopting another pet because it's not this crazy, terrible experience that they don't ever want to repeat again. You know, it's something that is sad. I mean, you can't, you know, and that's normal. We have something to be sad about and we're lucky for that. So just because you don't endure pain doesn't mean that, you know, you don't, you're not willing and accepting of getting back up on that horse and having another 10, 15 more years of love, you know, knowing that you'll just, you'll have to go through something sad, but that's okay. In the moment, though, man, it is it is it's awful. The, the most <laughs> unconsolable black hole in your heart. Mm-hmm. It's just so hard, you know. And but you, you said a couple of things that I think are are really important that I want to highlight. And one of them is the the deep pocket situation, right? The I feel like we don't do as good enough job as we could in general practice in our day to day veterinary lives of talking to clients about end of life preparations. Mm-hmm. We talk about 401ks and retirement and what will you do when (laughs) to -hmm. take care of yourself, but we don't talk about that. And people are sticker shocked at the worst time, the worst time when I'm trying to explain to you that it's several hundred dollars to get your pet's ashes back. And yes, you will have to decide like pretty soon. I mean, it it feels like the, the most difficult conversation to be having in the worst time. And so I think we could be preparing our clients better. And that's, I think, part of the goal of this this podcast is to start thinking early on what that looks like and being ready financially for that so you can provide the passing that you want. I mean, we do it for ourselves and our family members and our pets are family members. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, you're exactly right in the the, the planning of it. And look, some, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's, it's an, it's an obvious decision because the euthanasia might actually be less expensive than the $2,000 surgery that has to happen. And again, even those expensive surgeries don't always guarantee that you can get a pet through. And my favorite line from Jurassic Park is, you know, just because you can doesn't mean that you should, Yeah, (laughs) you know, just because we can do all these things. And that's one of the hardest conversations in emergency medicine with some families because they, they feel like they're failing because they don't have the financial resources. And then I have to not only explain, but convince them (laughs) that even if they did, that doesn't mean that I can guarantee you know, with any certainty that 
I'm going to be able to save their pet. Right. So that's where that finesse of that conversation really comes in and having a doctor that you can trust. Um, but like you said, you know, I mean, planning, planning and, and the, the, the thing that's, that's, I think most important for this too, particularly when we talk about end of life care, it's not all that different than human, you know, death as well is the fact that in, in veterinary medicine, we have the availability to make a decision when the time comes that we don't have in human hospice. And if you wait too long, let's say you have a terminal illness, you have a terminal condition with your pet. If you wait too long, that opportunity to have a beautiful candlelit ceremony on the beach surrounded by friends, which I've been a part of many times, you know, that opportunity gets taken away because now you're rushing to the ER in the middle of the night. So that's, that's the conversation that we have a lot. You know, when we talk about planning, it's really about like, let's, uh, let's have you feel educated in the signs that your pet may or may not be going through because, you know, an 80 pound dog that's going through mobility issues that can't get up and walk around very well, that we make the decision way differently than we do with the, with the, the, the cat that has renal failure or the dog that has congestive heart failure. Those decisions have to make, you know, have to be made potentially a little bit sooner. So it's really all about having that family feel prepared so that we can have a really nice, beautiful experience for them. I love that, Angie. I didn't know if you wanted to pop in. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to know how, um, well, I guess we're not really directed towards veterinary technicians or hospitals or anything like that in particular, but um, how do we find out about your services for like pet owners? And like, I work in the emergency room and ICU, and especially now due to COVID, like a lot of times you can't be with your pet you know, I end up euthanizing yeah. pets. I mean, me, the doctor, you know, in the, in the ICU, I end up holding a lot of pets really for owners, mm-hmm. um, and saying goodbye because, you know, due to yeah. COVID regulations, like if we have someone in oxygen or who's on a ventilator or something like that, like those owners miss, like you say, that opportunity. So, mm-hmm. um, how do we as veterinary professionals that may be listening, but also as, uh, pet owners who are listening, find out more about your services in the area? that we live in yeah so um our, obviously our website is probably going to be the the most succinct information um lapoflove.com and um actually i can't I came up with the phrase lap of love because there was there was this one client who came in and she had a little dog on her lap and she wanted typically you know we take them to the back place a catheter and then bring them back in but she told me she's and she's she's like i want my pet i don't want him off my lap and i'm like 100 percent understand i would ask the same thing you know yeah. so you know there's that feeling that every pet should be on their owner's lap which is their you know the most comfortable place for them to be um yeah so lapoflove.com is our website um a ton of clinics obviously around the country will hand out our information one when that time comes so probably around 50 percent of the families that contact us contact us through Through the the regular veterinarian yeah okay yeah so we work closely with the veterinarians um typically regular veterinarians and brick and mortars cannot go out to a home just simply because they're not prepared to and leaving with the medications and you know just the 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 supplies you know we're, we're set up to do that um and as we all know veterinarians are extremely busy these days yes so it's something that they can't always turn around and get out the same day but you know 50 percent of the families that call us need us either that day or the next day 
Yeah, it's so, times, very time sensitive. You're I'm exactly sure. yeah. right. Yep. Yeah. And so we we may not function like an ER, but we definitely function like an urgent care. An urgent, yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Oh. And can you just like walk me through, like if I were to contact you guys, like what what does it look like? Like what do you guys do? I know a lot of people uh, are first-time pet owners that are getting pets during the pandemic and all this stuff, or they maybe are lucky enough to have pets and haven't had to uh, say goodbye to one. I know that's a big point, I think, of questioning when people are thinking about uh, whether to do the surgery or whether to euthanize or whether to try to treat or try to say goodbye like they don't know really what they know what treatment looks like right maybe uh medicine and things like that but they don't know what uh what the euthanasia process looks like so can you just give us some ideas of what um lap of love kind of looks like if you use your services yeah yeah absolutely so so when a family calls us um typically you know you're either calling for just some information or you're calling to you know because you're ready and, and you know your pet's ready um, so let's just assume we're in that bucket that, you know, okay, I know I'm ready. Um, so obviously our team, we have a team of, gosh, about 85 amazing people. About half of them are actually CVTs or RVTs, um, you know, certified veterinary technicians. So we have an amazing, just awesome group of very tenured people that love the veterinary profession. Um, so they're able to talk to families on the phone through this process. Um, through that phone call, we get your information, address, that kind of thing, pets information. Um, and then at the time that we've booked the appointment, the doctor calls and says, I'm on my way. I'm just letting you know I'm 20 minutes away, you know. Um, so we get there. And then um, obviously there's, an, you know, coming to an understanding. And, and look, sometimes, you know, you walk into a home and it's obvious, right? The pet is suffering. Like there's, there's no even need to really have a conversation. But even sometimes those families need reassurance that it is the right thing. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I, I will always always tell a family that's that's thinking about doing this that we, as doctors, we will never do something that we don't think is the very best thing to happen. So there's always at the very beginning of, of you know, when the doctor enters the home, a conversation um, to the extent that the pet needs it about what why we're doing it, it. Is euthanasia the best? And extremely rarely, as in like almost never, do we walk into a home and a pet isn't ready. Um, sometimes a family member isn't ready. Yeah, sure. I'm and sure that's they're the ones. Often, yeah. yeah, exactly. And they're the ones that need a little bit more time. And, you know, we all as doctors understand that and are very aware of that. Um, so that's a whole nother conversation. But down to the euthanasia process, what we do is we give two injections. So the first one is a sedative. Um, it's a heavy sedative mixed with a heavy pain reliever. And we give it under the skin. So it's, it's either in the muscle or in the skin. But either way, from the outside, it just looks like it goes under the skin. Um, and that's an important part of the process because it it provides us with a sedation that is going to take four to five minutes to fully take effect. And that is very different than, Becky, as you know, an IV sedation, which a lot of people have experienced in the past. It's where very they, fast. Very, it's immediate. Like yeah. literally, you give the injection, boom, they're out. They're, they're gone. Um, well, at least they're sedated. And typically um, in the past, what we've done in the hospitals is use propofol which is the Michael yep. Jackson drug, you know? Yep, that's what I tell people yeah. too. <laughs> it is, and listen, it's beautiful. I had to have a surgery a few years ago and they gave me propofol yep. and it was boom, you're, you know, you're literally out in seconds. Now that looks different than a pet that gets a, an, an a intramuscular sedation where they slowly, it becomes slowly absorbed in the body, which gives us a slow sedation. 
And that I find is one of the most important parts of the process because it's not this, again, immediate dramatic thing that the pet just goes unconscious. And particularly when there's kids there, yeah, it's this slow, sure. the pet looks yeah, like, like they oh, literally, sleepy. Yeah. yeah, they literally look like they just fall asleep and don't, and, and, and lay down. That's it. Yeah. So then once, once the pet's sedated and once the family's ready, and it's typically about, you know, th- anywhere from three to 10 minutes after that first injection, then we give the second injection. And the second injection usually goes into the vein. Um, some diseases preclude venous access and we have to give it some other way. But that's the beauty of doing what we do is that we're, where we are highly, I can't use the word specialized because there's no board certification in this, but we are highly, um, uh, you know, we, we know what we're doing. <laughs> we know exactly what the heck we're doing. Yeah. And so there's other ways that we can administer the euthanasia if it doesn't go into a vein. So I don't ever want somebody to think like, oh, my doctor didn't do that. What happened? Nope. There's sometimes diseases are, you know, have taken over the body in, in a very dramatic way and we have to give it some other way. So after the euthanasia injection, and if it goes in the vein, which 90% of the time it does, um, it that second injection is an overdose of anesthesia. So they literally, they go to sleep and not wake back up. Just like when you or I go under for a surgery and they say, count back to 100, you know, you're 98, 99, boom, you're done. Yeah. So it's a beautiful, beautiful process. And it just simply becomes an overdose, just as if they were to overdose you under anesthesia you know that's why you have anesthesiologists is because they're highly specialized in what they do so they um the the medications and how it works so you know sometimes people will say well that is that the drug that stops the heart and i'm like no that's not what we're doing <laughs> you know we're not giving a medication that stops the heart we're literally literally allowing the body to go to sleep and not wake back up um so after after the euthanasia which again will just take usually takes just 30 to 60 seconds at most um, then we'll confirm um, the, that the heart has stopped. And then at that point, we make a paw print. So a little impression of the paw. Um, and then we'll step out for a few minutes. So we're, you know, we, and, and we typically do that paw impression or at least hang out for just a minute or two just to make sure that there's no side effects, such as very, very rare, but occasionally there might be a little twitch or a movement or something like that. Again, very rare. Um, and then after we've, we've excused ourselves, we give the family that time to grieve and then we come back and about, you know, two thirds of the families that, that call us, um, will, we, uh, we will handle the cremation. Um, the other option other than cremation is of course a home burial. And I grew up on a farm and we buried all of our pets on the farm, sure. you know, so to each his own. I mean, it's literally like a third, a third, yeah. a third, what people like to do. Um, and then there's two types of cremation, communal where you don't receive the ashes back or the private where you do receive the ashes back. So, you know, and from the time we walk in to the time we walk out pre-COVID, it was typically around anywhere from 35 to 45 minutes, um, which is, you know, just enough time for people to feel heard and respected and acknowledged for what they're going through. And also not too much time that, that it, it, the families can grieve on their own. Right. I mean, there's nothing that we can say or do to take this pain away. Yeah. Yep. And absolutely. it's always important for us that provide this care, that we're there, we're present, we provide that service, we do the most beautiful job we can. And then we let the family have their time and their space because that's why they're doing it in the home in the first place. That's you know? so important. Yeah. And I remember there was this one time, there was this, this one, this one girl, I say girl, she was probably mid thirties and, you know, sometimes late twenties, mid thirties is 
sometimes the hardest age for yeah. you know to lose a pet because like <laughs> this is the pet you got when you're 19 yeah. and yeah. they got you through everything right like they got you through your marriage and your kids yeah and your rock really your probably breakups. through a lot of things yeah yeah exactly yeah. you know it's the first being you were ever really in charge of other than yourself and so this one this one lady um i remember she um her poor little dog had a huge mass on his back and he was fine other than this mass who had that that had um grown so big that it broke open the skin and it started oozing and bleeding everywhere and she had like blood stains on her walls and that kind of thing you know so she tried to make it as long as she can and these are always tough because the brain and the body work but there's just a part of the body that's broken down yep. and can't be fixed or removed or anything you know it was just like you just you can't even remove this big huge mass so anyway um this was the only option that she had and she had waited as long as she could. So I remember she was bent down over her dog, like she, and it was about, like about a 60 pound dog. So, you know, it's a relatively big dog and she was holding her dog and just crying and crying. And, and, um, you know, I had given the euthanasia and she, her husband and her brother were both there and, and probably about a minute after I had confirmed the passing, they both tried to get her up. They were like, come on, come on. Like just trying to, you know, pull her away from her dog. And I, I let it go for a couple seconds. And finally I was like, I tapped them both on the shoulder and I'm like, come with me. So I took them to another room and I was like, I just told her, I said, let, let her be, just let her be, just sit with her, rub her back. Like there's nothing, nothing that you can say or do other than let her have her time. It makes me cry just thinking about it, you know, with her dog and that's it. And I don't even remember exactly if I was even going to take her pet for cremation or not, but it didn't matter. You know, even if she still wanted an hour or a day, like it's, it's fine. And I even told him, I, I said, even if she wants to call me back tomorrow or here's the number of the crematory, they'll come tomorrow. Like if, if her pet's body sits out for a day, that's fine. There's nothing that's going to happen. We think that things are going to happen, you know, in hours. They don't, it takes a couple days, you know? So just let her be. And, and I think that that's a very underestimated part of humanity is just being present with somebody through their grief and their pain and really not trying to change it, you know? Wow, yeah. Yeah, heavy, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's... <laughs> sorry. No, it's... it's I, I, what I love about it is the... Um, the allowing grief to be what it is and the permission to like it's it, there's no measuring stick you don't have to be done in 15 minutes or 10 minutes or right. you know I, I really love that part about it um, and I know Ryan you had a good question about grief support yeah so there's a lot of grief that comes along with the loss of a pet um, sometimes like for me it was regret um, when yeah. I lost REM um, do you guys offer grief support at all? We do. Yes, we do. So we have a full-time grief counselor on our team, and we, we're in the process of putting together a much bigger team this year, um, which has been accelerated by COVID. We, in Tampa, which is our largest area just because that's where I started, um, we have had a very successful pet loss support group in person um, for many years, gosh, I think four or five years now. Yeah, and then, of course, with COVID, we had to stop doing in person. So now what we're in the process of doing, and we'll have it done very, very shortly, um, is having um, regular Zoom pet loss support groups that meet. So stay tuned for that. We're, um, we're, we're literally in the process of putting that together. But yeah, that's that so a hugely important part of, of, what, of what we do and, and what human hospice does too. 
So I guess along those lines, you know, how have things changed for you with COVID? What does it look like now? Because you're really having to, um, I would imagine, toe a line and and, um, be very creative in these times to be considerate and slow um, and personal without being very personal. (laughs) No, gosh, you're so right. You know, when, when it first, when it first happened, we, we all, you know, all of our doctors, our entire team really obviously took everything day by day. I think like everybody did, you know, day by day, what's happening today. What are we going to do today? We're going to help pets today. We're going to help pets tomorrow. We're going to help pets the next day. And we just kind of kept going through the process, you know, and being ready to pivot whenever we needed to. And even though, you know, we, we did not, we did not significantly grow in March. We stayed very, very flat, just the number of animals that, that we were, the number of families that we were helping. But then starting in April, May, June, July, we blew up. And I mean, like we had so many calls and so many requests because just as you guys have, have commented, a lot of clinics stopped allowing families to go into the clinic and be with their pet. And it was heartbreaking. And because of that, I think that was a really big push for our entire team to say, we got to keep going. We This is the only good experience that we're going to be able, that, that these families are going to have at this time. So we just kept going and going and going. And our veterinary team, I mean, we're, they're just, they're heroes. They're rock stars. They, you know, they put their PPE on and they went into people's homes and they just kind of kept going. And now what we've done, we've, we've been able to settle into a situation. We've been able to settle into a, into a process that has worked really, really well. Um, you know, there are a, some of our doctors and, and again, you know, for pet parents out there vet, the veterinary field is stressed right now simply because they're, we're not graduating enough veterinarians to meet the demand of pet owners, um, which is a good problem to have, but it's still a problem. We don't have enough veterinarians to meet the demand that is out there. And that goes with, in Vetex, oh my gosh, yes, you're exactly right. Vetex as well. That's there's just not enough, and you know it's it's difficult to it's difficult to say no to some families. But even now, you know, we still get we still get booked up, and we have more calls than we can handle, and we're responding to it. You know, we're able to to, to pivot and grow rapidly. But again, there's still that 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 lapse. So our doctors, um, uh, uh, what we've been able to do is kind of do what we loosely call these socially distant appointments. And at the beginning, we wanted everything, you know, we're trying to, to encourage families to go outside, but of course, sometimes that's not possible with some of these pets. Um, so what we do is the, the doctor calls the family when they're on their way. And during that phone call actually takes a lot of time to explain the process, which is, you know, a lengthy part of the in-person, you know, the person-to-person contact under normal circumstances. So by the time the doctor gets there, the family is already kind of aware of the process. And all, you know, we really need to do is, is look over the pet and talk to the family a little bit more about any specific concerns. Um, and then after that, we can give the sedation injection and then step away, you know, meaning over six feet or, or even outside to let the family take off their masks. Um, and then come back in, deliver the euthanasia and then walk back out and give the family more time. So it's weird. And our doctor's frankly, they hate it. I'm not even going to lie. Like they hate it because the doctors that are called to do this type of work are the huggers and are the ones that want to be with you, you know, and hold your hand and like tell you it's going to be okay and rub your back. I mean, like that's who we are. You just, you know, you don't get into this if you aren't like that. And 
Um, and so it's been, it's, it has been tough. Again, we've all found our, our flow. So it's gotten better than it was at the beginning when everyone was afraid of everybody else. But, um, yeah, so it's, it's, we've grown and I think in-home care, you know, has become an essential thing, not just a nice to have thing since COVID. So it's been, uh, it's been a wild ride. The past eight months have been crazy. It's so important to, I think you guys have the advantage of pivoting because, you know, in your position, you do what works, do what the family needs. You probably don't have a a huge idea when you go in, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you can get into a situation all of a sudden like, oh, okay. Um, and uh, I think that might have been an advantage for you guys, but I can only imagine like the distance, the physical distance is so hard for everyone. Even people who aren't that big of huggers are finally like, listen, I'm hugging everyone as soon as I can. And um it's such it's such a hard thing, but it's so imperative that you guys have have stepped up and continued to do what you're doing, even at a a, a more demanding pace. Because, mm-hmm. like everyone on this call has basically said, you know, it, it's heartbreaking the idea of not being able to be with your pet. I've had to take my own dogs to the vet, I think three times last year. And I was like, every time Mm. I hand them over, I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) like I am all pet owner in that moment. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm like, you can't take them. Um, And, and always a little bit insulted when they willingly just go. (laughs) I don't even (laughs) look back. (laughs) They're like, okay. Um, You know, but it's, it's such an important thing because this human animal bond and Dr. Danny, you know that that's super important to me. It drives a lot of what I do in this profession and um, is even, you know, I think as veterinary professionals, we know the most thanks we get is for euthanasias, right? We get baskets of fruit and pizzas and cards and the most gratitude we get is for making that moment the, the best possible. Mm-hmm. And um, there's so many advantages to what you're doing. Um, I guess, I guess the, the the last thing I kind of wanted to ask is, you know, in other words, I know that there are probably your FAQs, right? And and you mm-hmm. talked, we talked about regret. Ryan mentioned like regret and knowing when it's time and not time. And I can imagine that there are probably a a list, but maybe like a top three or four questions that you get that you know everyone is wondering when you walk in the room. You know, what are those things so that, you know, our listeners can kind of find peace in those things, you know, be, that that everybody kind of worries about. And I know even as a vet tech, I worry about. No, you're exactly right. So I would, I think that the, the number one thing that I get asked is how could you guys do this? How do you do this day in and day out? And you touched on it just a second ago when you said that veterinary professionals, this is, this is a lot of the times when we get the most fulfillment and the most thank yous. And I can tell you, I wish everyone on the face of this earth got a thank you for everything that they did like we do in providing yeah. in-home euthanasia. I mean, I'm, I'm talking like not a, hey, thanks, man, like a hug with tears in their eyes. Thank you for what you just did for me and my yeah. family. Yeah. And that makes it all worthwhile. That makes providing this experience for people, it just, com- that, 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 I can't tell you the fulfillment that that comes, that, 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 that brings. Now, not everybody is like that, meaning not, not all doctors see it like that. Some of them get the fulfillment from saving, you know, the, the pet and allowing them to walk again from some dramatic surgery or something like that. I'm just saying that for our personalities, the type of doctor that does this, that's how we get that fulfillment. And that's why we do this. And it's not draining. It can be 
exhausting sometimes, you know, when you're going around and you have nine families that need you that day and you just, you know, you do your best. So exhausting is one thing, but draining, it is, it is not emotionally draining at all. Um, the other, the second most common thing that we get asked, and, and this is certainly for, for pet parents out there is how do I know when it's time? So that is something Becky, you know, I could lecture for hours yeah. on that topic. You know, that's a very long conversation, but there's two things I want to give everybody some little nuggets. Number one is make sure you talk to your veterinarian about the disease that your pet has, because as I touched on earlier, how you make the decision for a disease that's going to go downhill really quickly, like congestive heart failure is very different than a disease that's going to go downhill slowly, like arthritis. So make sure you get a veterinarian's guidance based on the disease that your pet has. And even if maybe, maybe you don't feel your current veterinarian is going to be the best hospice practitioner for you, no problem. Get online, find somebody else. Like, you know, don't feel like you can't find that help out there. It really is out there. We even do tele-advice or what we're coining tele-hospice where you can, you know, have a conversation with a doctor that does this specifically about, you know, what, what to talk to your veterinarian about and that kind of thing. Um, what's that? I always said, just said that's brilliant. Oh yeah. Thank you. No. And we, we actually did that since, you know, since COVID, we just pushed it out really quickly because we know you need that advice over the phone. And then the second thing is my best little nuggets on quality of life. Um, when we talk about quality of life, there are four budgets that I like for everybody to remember that exist. Everybody understands the monetary budget. You know, the, yeah, my dog could live another six months if I spent $10,000, right? Like, yeah. but that's not always, like I said earlier, just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Yeah. And that doesn't always even guarantee another six months or however long that's going to be. And what kind of six months that could be. It might be six months in and out of the hospital three days a week. That's not maybe that's not what I want for myself. You know, I don't know that a pet wants that either. So, you you know, monetary budget is one thing, but there's three other budgets to consider as well. There's the emotional budget. Maybe just emotionally, this is causing you or your family, you know, to be a complete wreck. I mean, there are times that I come into a family's home and you have adult children and they're like, oh, you know, finally my mom has decided to make this decision for her dog. And this is the last thing that my mom has of my dad, you know, who died years earlier. And so she's been holding on for way too long and she won't go to dinner with us. She won't leave the house. She won't do this. She won't do that. And this, this end of life process with the dog has just caused a lot of emotional turmoil on the family. Um, it could also be something again, where, you know, the, that this dog belonged to somebody else that had, has already passed away and going through the loss of that pet again is the loss of that person again. So that, again, there's this huge emotional budget, this emotional kind of toll that people go through. And there are many times when just simply saying goodbye in a calm and loving way is the the most loving thing that you can also do for you or for a family member because of the emotional toll that is taking, right? Like you might just not have anything else to give. Um, so that's just something to consider. And again, it's, you know, these are not all exclusive. They all happen in tandem. Um, so that's the second budget. So monetary, emotional, a third is the physical budget. So it goes back to, you know, but goes back to, Hey, I can keep your pet alive, but you're going to have to do X, Y, Z. And, uh, you know, a large dog that has arthritis and maybe can't get up and move around very well. Now you're talking about a dog that's urinating or defecating on itself and cleaning them and, or, you know, somebody that 
maybe the human has arthritis and they have to give their pet, you know, a diabetic pet injections once or twice a day. That's really difficult for somebody that physically can't do that. Um, and then the last budget is time. You know, I've, I've worked with some families that it's a single mom and they might be able to afford some of the care, but they're working two jobs and just the time to give a pet medication every four hours, you know, during the day is really, really difficult. And without that medication spread out every four hours, you know, it becomes tough for that pet to live comfortably. So there are all these, these things, you know, hopefully by, by me seeing those four different budgets, um, monetary, emotional, physical, and time that families understand that this is not a simple conversation you know, about how you make the decision to say goodbye to your pet. There's a lot of different things that go into it and you should never feel judged about the process. And I think that that's, there's one thing I could offer everybody, you know, and Ryan, you said it earlier in the conversation too, is you just don't want to have that regret. And a lot of times regret comes from guilt. And a lot of times guilt comes from because you either have felt judged by someone else or you feel internally judged. You know, you just are judging yourself. And I wish that everyone could just experience the loss of their pet, the pure loss, without having guilt or judgment, because we all make different decisions at different times for different reasons, and it they're not bad, you know? It's not bad if you made the decision a day too early. It's just not. You know, it's better to help a friend a day too early than a second too late. Yeah. It's beautifully said, too. I mean... It's, it's some of the hardest things that we do, but you're, it is one of the best things we, I think we all take pride in the fact that we get to, to do this and help pets and help pet parents. Um, and I think the conversation in this manner is part of what takes the stigma and the fear away from it. So I think it's the important part of having these conversations. Dr. Danny is just saying like, grief is fine. Let's talk about it. What your needs are, are okay. Um, but, but we really have to focus on your pet and be realistic. And I just think it's such an important, um, arm that has developed of the whole care wheel. And it needs to be, like you said, kind of seen as hospice being is, is involved in the whole pet lifespan of care as it is in human medicine. I think, Mm -hmm. I think you're headed that way and, um, you're pioneering it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We have, we have an an, an awesome team of people that we're all doing this together. So yeah, (laughs) we're in this together. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you. for those. And that's true. Dr. Mary Gardner is one of the most energetic, fun, Mm -hmm. wonderful (laughs) folks in the world. The the fact that the two of you found each other in this universe, um, and to work together is is amazing. You are both amazing souls, and um, you just appreciate your time so much. Um, so again, we can find you lapoflove.com. Are you guys on uh, social media? Where else do we find you? We're on all the things except TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> we have, um, gosh, we have a, a beautiful Facebook page that we, you know, that, that we dedicate to families. Um, Lap of Love Veterinary Hospice, um, la- the website, Instagram. So, yeah, we're on. We're oh, on all of them. I can link it up to our um, Instagram and Facebook page. Oh, also, you. you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Making Sense of Pets. Yeah, that's right. We would love to see pets that you have um, sent over to the Rainbow Bridge. Shout out the veterinary teams who have made that experience wonderful for you. We want to hear from you guys. Oh, yeah. Come on, Angie.
<laughs> I got stuff to do. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Oh, Lord. <laughs> All right. Um, you should probably leave us a great review, follow, download, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. That's Do it, it. now. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you again so much dr danny you have been so yes. much fun a wonderful guest and just thank you so much for what you do oh thank you you guys too Definitely. this has been so great thank you guys i would love to have you back on for a uh, hospice one just Ooh, to focus yeah. on hospice focus totally oh yeah on hospice. yeah we could do that Absolutely. don't worry we know where to find you dr mm -hmm. you we sure will. do 